Over the past few weeks, we've been um, talking about who matters and the the what, the why, the who. Today, we're going to spend some time speaking about the the when and the where, particularly about worship. We've been pointing out um, the story of the the wise men or the wise guys who went to worship Christ. Uh, particularly, we started out with who they were worshiping or who are they worshiping. Uh, scripture says that they went, these wise men journeyed to worship the one born king of the Jews. So they went to worship who? They went to worship Jesus, the one born king of the Jews. They went to worship a ruler, a redeemer, a rescuer, a forgiver. They went to, to worship the Messiah, the Holy One, the Sent One, the Son of God, the Ancient of Days, the Forever Savior, the one that prophecy and God had promised about. They went to worship Jesus. That's the who. The who that matters. The only one that matters. These wise men give us this, uh, this example of what our lives really should look like. Ones who see the seriousness of the Savior of the things that have pointed to him. And so they decided to journey and go worship Jesus. Zach preached to us about why we worship, why one would travel great distances to go and worship this baby. Why would one be obedient to him? Why would one even give him gifts or greater than that, give this one Jesus? Why would you give him your life? Zach reminded us that he's the only one, Jesus, is the only one that can sustain us, that can carry us through, not just to the rest of the sermon, but also through the rest of life. Only Christ can do that. And then thanks be to God, not only does he carry us through the rest of this life, but he also carries us through to eternal life. And so we worship him. The reason why is not because necessarily of what we can get from him, but because of who he is. We worship him wholeheartedly because of who he is. And then then Brian last week, sorry Brian, messed up your name there. Brian last week reminded us of the what of worship and how we generally try and make it out to be about how do we worship. We try and bring these things in a, I'm going to bring these gifts or these resources or, or I'm going to bring these songs or, or this uh, posture or, or whatever the case may be. We, we really form worship around what. But uh, the New Testament is not necessarily a handbook on how to worship Jesus, but instead it's about who Christ is, what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he's going to do for us. And because of that, we look at that and we see that and wholeheartedly we say, let my entire life be worship of Jesus. Let me be a sacrifice of praise because Christ is worthy of that. Brian pointed out Romans chapter 12 and about us being transformed to the likeness of Christ. And that our act of worship as we walk daily is this living sacrifice for Him. No longer for ourselves, but completely for for Him, for Christ. Because, if you remember this, He has bought you with His blood. 
He has purchased you. And because of that, you belong to Him if you've confessed Christ as Lord. You belong to Him. And so the one that you belong to should receive the worship. He purchased you with His blood. And so because of that, we worship Him and Him alone. And now we get to the when and the where, which is a constant question in our world today. When and where. We daily think about these things. We are consumed with these last two questions, maybe more than any of the other three. We're consumed with when and where. We live in an overscheduled world. How many times have you scheduled yourself into something and then somebody texts you or calls you or emails you or sends some kind of smoke signal to remind you, weren't you supposed to be here? Like, ah, I overbooked myself. Like the sitcom Seinfeld many years ago who made a joke about making a reservation at a car rental place thinking that I know the time I will be there and when and where I'm going to pick up this car, but the car was overbooked and someone else got it. That's a representation of our world today. We live in this overscheduled, overbooked world that we consume ourselves with when and where. It seems like every day you ask yourself and I ask myself these questions. Maybe it's simple stuff like, where will we meet? When will we meet? Where will we eat? When will we eat? Just simple things like that. We consume ourselves with those questions. When will we do this? When will we do that? Where will we do this? Where will, where will we do that? We consume ourselves with these questions. Where will we live? Where will we work? Where will we play? Where will we die? Where will we go after death? When will all these things, when will all these things happen? And unfortunately, because we ask ourselves that so often, it bleeds into our worship. It begins to consume our worship of Jesus. Well, when will this happen? Where will this happen? When can I worship Jesus? Where will I worship Jesus? Where will we do these things? How, how can I put these things in place? Herod also, among with, uh, along with many other sinners, had the same thing going on. I mean, think about it for a second like we preached the first Sunday of this series, if worship is about giving up your position, your place, and your pride, and acknowledging that there is something or someone greater than you, then where and when do you worship? I mean, believer, think about that for a second. Think about, fill in the blank, where do you worship? When do you worship? I'll give you some examples here. Sporting events. You see people worship at a sporting event. Stores. We worship at stores. We look at the things at the, on the rack and we begin to, to worship those things. You see people worshiping at a bank. You see people worshiping on social media. You see people in our world today worshiping their phones. You see people worshiping land and property. Go to a funeral and you see people worshiping. And oftentimes it's not the Savior who created the person who we say passed away, but instead we begin worshiping that person. Go to a birth. A child enters this world, and we celebrate it. We we um, we we gift it. We we do all these things. We often worship the baby. Go to a family reunion. Begin worshiping maybe a grandparent, maybe a great grandparent, maybe the one who set it all in in place. But do we worship Jesus? Go to a wedding, a, a celebration of two lives coming together, and who receives? The worship. I mean, particularly now, let's think about the end of the year here. 
And if you're still working or you're part of a school, maybe you're a student in a school, you have these end-of-year Christmas parties or end-of-year parties. And who do we worship at these parties? Everyone, I want to give you a, let's stand, let's have Zach stand up. Let's give him a round of applause for the great work that he's done this year. Let's have Brian stand up and, and give a round of applause for the great work that he's done while he's here. And we begin to celebrate those people instead of the people, instead of the person who created them. I mean, it goes something like this. If we're worshiping at a, at a sporting event, a sporting event, who's getting the glory? Obviously the Cowboys. The Cowboys are getting the glory. Whatever side you're on of that fence, right? You go to the store, the bank, who's getting the glory? Who's getting the worship? Yay, money! You go on social media, who do you see being worshipped? Look at me, look how incredible I am. You look at your phone and you begin to worship it and you can't get your eyes off of it. You think that this thing is so great. You see how much you have in land or property and you say, look how incredible, look at the amount of stuff that I have. You go to a birth and you see a baby. And if you're like me, you say this, no way, a baby? And you begin to worship the baby. It's incredible how. But I know it's precious and I know it's beautiful. But I also know at the same time it's time consuming. And it's going to take over my life. Just like cowboys or just like money or just like social media. Just like clothes and property and land and all these things. You go to a wedding and you say, what a dress, what a suit, that cake was awesome. Look at that first dance, how incredible, how beautiful a moment this was. Who's receiving the praise? Who's receiving the worship? Who's getting the honor in those moments? Mostly, we replace the one who who should be receiving the honor and the glory and the worship in those moments. We replace it with things upon this earth instead of our incredible Savior, who gives life, who gives breath, who should be praised. Paul Tripp wrote this about Herod, King Herod, who we're about to read about in Matthew chapter 2. In a horribly violent way, Herod did what all sinners do. Instead of worshiping the king, he fought for his own kingdom. And it's, it's why we all are in need of rescuing grace. I mean, here's, here's Herod, who's been placed in a place of authority, who's ruling over people. And Herod begins being consumed with his own self, with his own things, with his own power, with his own pride, with his own control. And a little baby comes in, and people begin to worship this child, and his world is changed forever. And so Herod begins to ask, If people go and worship this Jesus, it's a very sinful thing to ask, but we we often ask it. What will happen to me? If I am completely obedient to Christ and I follow him daily, what will happen for me? I I know of believers that I've grown up with, that I watch videos like this that kind of represent Lottie Moon, about people going to the ends of the earth be it southeastern New Mexico or West Malaysia or Canada or Antarctica, wherever the place may be. And we look at those people and we, we praise them and we lift them up and we say, that is so awesome that they're willing to do that. And then we pray, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I want to follow you. I want to worship you with every moment of my life. But I'm afraid of what will happen to me. I mean, what if you call me to go here? Where? Here. 
What if you say it's time now? When now? What, what will happen? What will happen to me? And that battle of who gets the worship is battling with your heart every day. Every moment we battle with who is going to receive the worship. We mentioned to you John Piper saying about how missions doesn't exist uh, because there's really this extremely lost world, but missions exist because worship doesn't. There are people, including people in this, uh, this room here, who do not worship Christ with their entire life, who, who worship other things. The Old Testament greatly calls them false idols. We've labeled them as other things to make ourselves feel better. But Christ is the only one worthy of being worshipped. And so with that, we have to look at the story and we have to say, okay, so, so we consume ourselves daily with the when and the where. Well, when do we worship Jesus? Where do we worship Jesus? How can I not be like Herod? How can I not be like a sinner that's unregenerate or not born again? But instead, how do I live a life as a person who's walking in newness of life? clothed in righteousness and worshiping Christ and Christ alone. There's only one worthy of worship. There's only one worthy of praise. And it's not me. It's not you. It is only it is only Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. We'll read through verses 1 through 12. And I want to point out to you how often there's a when, how often there's a where, how, how consumed we are with these, with these moments. We're constantly looking for perfect timing. We're constantly looking for a perfect place, a when and a where to worship Jesus. And look at this in Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So, so think about this just in the first verse, the when and the where. Now after Jesus, when? After Jesus was born, what happened? He was born. So after Jesus was born, when? In Bethlehem of Judea, where? In the days of Herod, when? Behold, wise men from the where? From the east came to where? Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when? When it rose and have come to worship him. So just in these two short verses, you see how consuming the when and the where is. Verse 3 says this, And when Herod, what happened? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Okay, what's about to happen to me? Because these wise guys from the east, they're coming to worship this baby who they're, who, who they're proclaiming is going to be king of the Jews. So what's going to happen to me? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. One child is born, and the whole city is troubled. One child is born, and people begin to ask, if Herod's no longer king, what's going to happen to me? I mean, worship really is a trust issue. When we say we're going to worship Christ, we're saying, no longer do I trust in myself, but I trust Christ instead. It's an acknowledging that it's not about me anymore. It's only about Jesus. And that being the case, daily when we walk, we say, is this, is this walk today about me? Or is this walk today about the one who saved me? Is this walk today about me? Or is this walk today about the one who purchased me with his blood? I want to worship him. So I'm trusting that he is who he says he is. I'm trusting that he is the rescuing redeemer. That he is the savior that's going to save me or is saving me. And with that, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to trust in him and him alone. And all the city was troubled. All the city was troubled, including the king. And verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
So because he was troubled, what's going to happen to me? He began trying to search out, okay, the when and the where. If I can figure these things out, then maybe, maybe I'll be able to satisfy my own desire and put trust in something that I can control still. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. They gave him a place. We so long for a perfect time. We long for a perfect place. And they gave him a place because it's prophesied in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, a place, aware. In the land of Judah, another place, a place, aware, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people. Ancient document giving uh, a promise that a king will come, a savior will come, one who is going to rule, one who is going to shepherd will come. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. When did that star appear? So we know where. We have a location. Now we need to know when it happened. Verse 8 says this, And he sent them to Bethlehem, to the where, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod, like us, Paul Tripp pointed out, said it to you already, in a horribly violent way, he was not worried about worshiping the king, but instead he was fighting for his own kingdom and how he could continue to be king. He's fighting for his place, for his wants, for his desire, for his pride, for his authority, for his life. He doesn't want to worship Christ. He's worried about him. He's worried about himself. Go find him. Find the place he was born, the where. Find out when I can meet him so I can worship him to the perfect time, the perfect place. Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9 says, And after listening to the king, they went their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went from them until it came rest over the place where the child was. Consumed with a when and a where. They went and they found Christ. And they began to worship him. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were happy. They were happy for the moment. They followed the signs that led them to the place the child, the Savior, would be. And they rejoiced in that. And verse 10 says this, and when they, uh, verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped Christ. They worshiped the one that was prophesied about. They worshiped the only one worthy of worship. Remember, they didn't walk into Herod's palace and, and fall down and worship him and give him the gifts. He wasn't worthy of it. They didn't stop with the Alsops on the way to Bethlehem and worship the cashier. She wasn't, or he wasn't worthy of worship. They didn't worship the camels they were on that took them the long distance. They didn't worship the text or the, the, the writings. They didn't worship uh, the, the ones that were before them that led them in this direction. But instead they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus, the only one worthy of worship. They figured it out. They figured out the when and the where. And they went and they worshiped Jesus. And then opening their treasures... They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And verse 12 says this, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their, to their own country by another way. Their, their whole life was consumed with worshiping Jesus. They knew, who the, they knew who to worship. They knew why they were worshiping him. They knew what to bring to worship. They knew it was their life, their gifts, their resources, everything about them. They knew to bring those in worship of him. And they knew the when and the where. And so we, we oftentimes look at Christ as the Savior who's just an event. 
we come to him just at a moment. We, we think it's just an event. Uh, when can I worship Christ? At the event. Where will I worship Christ? Where the event happens. So I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to worship Christ as an event. Thanks be to God that he did not send us a Savior who is only an event. But he's this eternal king who wants every bit of our lives. He wants to live inside of us. He wants to dwell. He wants us to abide in him. That he may reign and rule over us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us down the path of righteousness. No longer down the path of destruction. He's a savior who wants to walk with us daily. Leading us so that we may glorify and worship him. So that others may hear about him and worship him and him alone. He's not an event. We look for the perfect time, the perfect place. We make so many excuses. We're constantly looking for that. At this time, I'll go and worship Jesus. And at this time, when this time's set up and it's a perfect time, and then at this time, I will also go to this place and I will worship, I will worship Jesus. I showed pigs and as I was growing up at Fort H and FFA and I remember how interesting it was to uh, spend so much time prepping these pigs for the show. You, you fed them, you watered them, you cut their hair. You spent so much time being so proud of your, of your little pig so that, so that one day, maybe, maybe one day a, a great spider might make a sign that says, that's some pig. And as you're walking in the stock show arena and you're doing funny things trying to get the judge's approval, look at my... Look at my pig. Look how great my pig is. And people are standing around saying, man, you see Thackerson's pig? That's some pig. And we're so excited about this moment. And the judge stands there and looks at it. No. That's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm looking for. And they open the gate. And all that hard work you did with your pig, with your nice piece of bacon, all that hard work, and you've showed it off to the judge. Your pig goes through the gate and gets on the truck and ends up at McDonald's. And you think, what a shame. What a waste of time. What a waste of my time. I remember how often I went out there and fed and watered. And I spent so much time just to show off, look how great I am, look how great my pig is, and all that for nothing, as the judge said, you wasted your time. It's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm looking for. Maybe you're picking it up what I've just been throwing down here, but how often do we just do that with life? Uh, when I get this all together, then I'm going to show it off to the judge. Then I'll come to him and worship him. Judge, look how great I am. Look at these things I've done, particularly for you. Look how great they are. Look how sculptured it is. Look how perfect it is. And the judge looks as a righteous, sovereign, just judge that he is and says, it's nowhere near perfect. There's only one who is perfect. And if you're not trusting in him, if you're not purchased by him, you don't amount to anything. Only Christ can step in. So, so use your life to point towards Christ. Look, all this is faulty. All this is nothing. But I have a Savior who is perfect. 
I make mistakes daily. And I'm reminded of them daily. Lord, forgive me daily of my mistakes. But look at my incredible Savior. And God, thank you for being a just judge who no longer looks at my sin, but instead looks at Christ's righteousness, the blood that purchased and forgave and cleansed me of my sin. God, thank you for being a just judge who looks at him instead of me so that I may so that I may have eternal life, so that I may be with you for eternity, so that I may be in right relationship with you and saved from your wrath, so that I may point others towards who Christ is. It's an interesting thing that we do when we try and become perfect. When I finally get to this point, then I'll show it off. When I finally get to this place, then I'll worship Christ. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too medium. Today is the day to worship Jesus. Well, when should I worship Jesus? How about now? How about with the way you walk? How about with the way you talk? How about with the way you show mercy and forgiveness and grace and compassion? How about the way you care for widows and orphans? How about those moments? Let that be worship of Christ. Let others may see Christ in you and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Stop looking for the perfect place. Stop looking for the perfect moment. But instead see that you have a perfect Savior and worship Him and Him alone. I'm almost preaching and I'm sorry. Christ is not an event. He's not just an event. He is a personal Savior. He is God in flesh who came and humbled himself to take your place. And so he is deserving of worship and only him. We get consumed like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We get consumed with well, what about a mountain? Should we go to a mountain? Should we go to a city? Should we go to a building? Should we go to a, a temple? Should we go to a stable? Should we go to a town, a country? Should it, should it be with a particular family or a day or hour? Should it be a particular pew or song? Uh, when, when will we worship? How will we worship? Why do we worship? Who do we worship? Where will we, where will we worship? Maybe it's when I get older. Maybe when I slow down. Maybe when there's no more drama in my family, that's when I'll begin worshiping Jesus. When I finally get things in order, then I will worship Jesus. And Jesus is crying out, resurrected from the from the grave, seated at the, the right hand of God, and as angels are around him singing, holy, 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 he is worthy of it. His life everlasting is crying out saying, worship me today. Turn to John chapter 4. We'll catch up with this woman at the well with Jesus in, in verse 16. R- remember, worship basically is this. It's a, it's a giving up of your position or your place or your pride and acknowledging that there is one, only one, who is greater than you. And in that you find satisfaction in God instead of yourself. So if you're waiting for a perfect place and a time, you're probably depending upon yourself. And that means you're worshiping you instead of Jesus. I mean, if you've seen the beauty and the grace and the authority of Jesus, then repent of your sins and be obedient to Jesus and worship him now. John chapter 4, verse 16 says this, And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So what you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So she does like any good semi-religious person would do. 
Sir, I acknowledge here the fact that you are a great religious man and you may know some things. You may even be from God. So let's ignore my sin for a moment and let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you actually know. Let me put you to the test. Forget about my sin for a moment. I'll, I'll deal with those later. Let's talk about, let's see what you really know. And so she asks a question here. Verse 19 again, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. A when and a, and a where. Forget about my sin. I'll cover that up. I'll deal with it later. Let's get to the more important matter here. When should we worship and where should we worship? And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we, knew, what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And verse 23 says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You're looking for a perfect place. You're looking for a perfect time. And Christ says, how about now? You want to worship properly. You, you want to worship uh, perfectly. How, how about beginning now? And the woman said, Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us these things. So she tries to uh, p- push it off again. She tries to uh, get the, the picture off of the winning way. Well, look, I'm looking for a specific place. I'm looking for a specific specific time. I don't want you to think about my sin. I want you to give me the perfect place to worship, the perfect place, uh, the perfect time to worship, so that others maybe may see me in my worship. So she begins to say, wait a minute, I hear what you're saying, that we're going to have this relationship with the Holy God, this intimate relationship with the Holy God. And when the Messiah actually gets here, like you, you know a little things, it uh, sounds like, but, but when the Messiah actually gets here, then he will let us know the where and the when. And Jesus looks at her and said to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. You have to make the decision this morning, like I do. Are, are these words true? Are these words from God? Did this moment actually happen? And if so, is Jesus really is who he says he is? And if he is, he says to worship him now with every bit of your life, spirit and truth, that you would worship him with every moment of your life, not waiting for the perfect time, not waiting for the perfect place, but instead looking to worship him with every step that you take. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or do or word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Every moment of your life. If you're not sure, well, what does it mean to, to do that and everything that I do? Read Colossians 1 through 16, talking about this new life that you've been clothed with and how you should walk no longer in your old ways, but instead in this newness of life, worshiping him through care for widows, worshiping him w- uh, with things like care for orphans or showing mercy or showing compassion or showing forgiveness, worshiping Christ in those in those moments. Someone wronged you, 
you worship Christ by the way that you respond to them. Someone blesses you, you worship Christ by the way that you respond to it. You worship Christ with everything that you are. See, see the woman here, she tried to distract Jesus from her sins. Okay, so, so you, you know something. You know some things. But, but more importantly, when the Messiah gets here, he'll tell us what to do. He'll tell us what to do. And Christ is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one who's coming to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to take upon the wrath of God upon myself so that you don't have to, to bear it anymore. Yeah, but we want to contain Jesus in a building on a day. We, we want to put an hour to it. We want to worship Jesus just a, a specific time or a specific place. And Christ says, no longer. I'll tear the curtain in half so that, so that you can see this intimate relationship, so that you can use every bit of your life to worship Jesus. There will be a day when all saints will gather together. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be gathered together in one place, the place that he has brought us to. And we will gather around and we will worship Christ together on that day. And we will be around his throne and see him in all of who he is. And we will see how unworthy we are and how worthy he is of our worship. And we will gather together in one place and one time. But today, we worship him everywhere we go. Christ living in us, purchased with his blood. We worship him with everything that we do. We worship Christ at the bank, not the money. We worship Christ at the Cowboys game, not the Cowboys. We worship Christ at the wedding, at the funeral, at the, at the birth. We worship Christ in all these moments. At work, at school, at play, every bit of our life, we worship Christ because he is worthy of it. When should I worship Christ? Now. Where should I, where, where should I worship Christ? Where you are. Worship Christ because he is worthy of it. God, thank you so much. Particularly that my salvation 